Hey guys, before we start the episode, I just want to give a quick content warning. We're going to be talking about performances that include blood, piercings, and non-traditional uses of animal meats. So if you have any sensitivities to any of that, now's your chance to escape. What happened to We did this ourselves. They're coming. It can't be. Where is everyone? Hello, survivors. On this episode of the Apocalypse Postcast, a podcast, I'm bringing you a performance artist who once got a shout out as an evil pagan on the 700 Club, which I think any of us would call a badge of honor. His music project, called Aesthetic Meat Front, has toured the world using human instruments that are hooked, pierced, suspended, and miked. He's a flesh artist, body modification ritualist, and human pincushion. Welcome to the show, Louis Fleischauer. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. So to start out, your art and your performances, they're very much bathed in Mm -hmm. the blood of the post-apocalypse. So how do you use apocalyptic themes to comment on real-world issues? Uh, I think it's pretty easy because real-world issues... Mm-hmm. If we don't work on them, we will very quickly be f- find ourselves in the middle of an apocalypse. So do you think it like serves as a warning? It serves as a warning. It um, also serves as a medium of raw energy. Because uh-huh. um, in an apocalyptic state, there are um, no boundaries. Because there is anarchy. So from an artistic point of view and from what could happen, there are really no boundaries. Obviously, from a real life, there are lots of boundaries because if you don't know where to get your food, you have to focus on your food. You can't make any art. Um, But from a creative point of view, I uh, like it because of the lack of boundaries. And I also like the idea of it because it is an apocalyptic state is a very raw primal state because you have to use all your instincts in order to survive. My art is always about raw primal energy. Um, Mm -hmm. The main difference, though, is that for me, it's important that the um, primal instincts and that you can indulge in them on a healthy level without being controlled by them. And the more we suppress those energies, the more they will control us. That's really interesting. I, I love that, that you can use art to kind of explore these different aspects of what it means to be human without um, suffering them mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Your music project, it's called Aesthetic Meat Front. Can you tell me where that name comes from and describe what people will see at an Aesthetic Meat Front show? Um, The name came from my first performance in this direction. I wanted it to create very raw primal energy. And back at this time, the best way I could do this was to create some sort of a room. I... uh, had an accident, I got some money from it, and I spent all that money on meat. <laughs> I went to the meat warehouse 
and uh, we rented a gallery, mm -hmm. and I just decorated all the walls with meat. Oh, wow. And then I had it on stage. I had lots of fresh blood that we would walk through the audience and paint everybody with it. Uh -huh. And yeah, at the end, it was so crazy. The audience would just throw it at each other. Um, everybody was messy. <laughs> everybody was happy and having a good time. I was oh definitely, the, uh, I definitely reached my goal to create something very raw and primal. That's pretty interesting that you that, that you used raw meat. How how long was this set up? Like, all right, so raw meat has its own smell <laughs> when it's fresh. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of the main reasons why I use it because it triggers something in your subconsciousness. You know, a lot of art is very visual. Um, music's very audible, but in this case, you were actually filling an atmosphere with the the smell of fresh death in a way um so that just adds a whole new level uh that's not normally seen in an art gallery yeah for me i like my art always to be multi-dimensional yeah like sound is great but it's not enough um visual is great but it's also just one level and being able to use smell as a level it's a new dimension to it so that's one of the reasons i used it so can you describe um, what is happening on stage during an aesthetic meat front show? Um, it always depends a little bit on um, the subject. The last one we performed um, was called Body Under Attack, mm -hmm. which was pre-corona. Now it sounds totally different. <laughs> um, and it was about control uh, from... Uh, state, industry, and church on how they want to control your body. So I had um, each person was a different sculpture representing a different way of control. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are usually those elements which represent something that has the message of the performance. Then uh, there are human instruments. Uh, most of the time, the message and the instrument is the same thing mm -hmm. uh, or the same person. The idea behind the human instruments is that whatever we feel on stage gets shared with the audience in form from sound. So the hook goes into the skin. Um, mm -hmm. On the other side from the hook, there's a metal coil, for instance, with a microphone, mm -hmm. and it goes through an effect, and that goes um, through the speaker, and the audience can hear it. So if somebody beats the spring that is connected to a person, the person with the spring will feel it and the audience will hear it. Oh, wow. And usually the way it is, it starts out with a little bit of separation between the performance and the audience. And during the performance, um, this barrier gets dissolved. And at the end, a lot of time, my uh, human instruments are in the middle of the audience and then the audience can play. So the idea is that the audience doesn't just consume entertainment, but is actively part of the ritual. Yeah, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. You actually hand out like these metal cudgels, pipes, um, sticks, all sorts of things, and people will pick them up and start banging on these springs, um, which is obviously affecting the performers, but it becomes this this group performance in a way where everybody is playing to this shared beat yeah it's uh, for, for me the interaction is always very important 
even if I don't do um, performance art, mm -hmm. when I do my wearable art, for instance, the moment somebody wears my outfit that I make, it becomes alive. Wow. And when I do um, music with the current project, for instance, I ask people to send me their COVID fears. Mm -hmm. So I use this as sole sound source and create tracks with them. So 90% of my art is in one way or another interactive with the audience. Hey guys, I'm jumping in here real quick because so far the music you've heard in the background is short clips of Aesthetic Meat Front's sound as it is on the album, but their live show takes on a completely amplified vibe. And I want to give you an idea of the ritualistic chaos that's happening on and off the stage. I'm playing some footage from AMF's Wasteland Weekend performance in 2012. And let me just try to describe what's happening. The high ping you're hearing is a couple Wastelanders tapping metal pipes on their own costume armor. There's blood spattered on their arms. Behind them is a girl being suspended in the back of a pickup truck with hooks in her legs, stomach, and chest. It pans left to see performers and audience members banging on drums and piles of scrap metal with Lewis in the middle, dancing hypnotically. He's topless, bald, and covered in blood. Back to the right, we see a set of three human instruments. The first is a female in a sheer dress. She's got some kind of neck and jaw trap on, which looks like it's right out of a Saw movie. And she has a bloody hook in her side, just above her waist that's connected by a long spring and chain to another performer who's hooked in his upper chest. He's topless and wearing a cone-shaped mask that covers his eyes. He has another hook in his stomach that connects him to the third performer who's hooked through the skin of his neck and wears a mask with two horns jutting out from the forehead. Back to Lewis, and he's now beating a sheep's head in rhythm with a couple short pipes as another almost naked female who's been anointing the audience with blood pours what she has left over Lewis's head. Another performer takes a pipe and starts to hit and scrape along the springs that connect the human instruments. It's quite the show. So I remember seeing you for the first time uh, at your performance at Wasteland Weekend. I was mm -hmm. definitely not prepared. Uh, and the only clues I got from anybody was you do not want to miss this show. It was a f like very violent and visceral show that you put on. And I remember seeing more than a few people in the audience were really having an emotional, spiritual experience. Um, how do you see pain and blood as a means of enlightenment and healing? Pain is just, it's an intense body experience. It all depends on how you use it and how the environment is. Mm -hmm. Pain is obviously necessary so that you don't burn your hand on the stove. <laughs> right. But you can also use it as a tool. If you use it controlled, if you know what you're doing, it... Um, it triggers body reactions, it works with your subconscious, and you're also aware of your body, especially in a um, pampered society, mm -hmm. uh, as we are in right now. We, we are so sheltered that if we see a drop of blood, people freak out. But <laughs> uh, blood represents life just as well as it represents death. There, there is no birth without bleeding. Yeah, And the funny thing is that when the people are so upset get so triggered by anything that opens the skin they, they see it as self-harm yeah um something dangerous etc no matter how controlled the environment is and how good the intention is but if you're eating fast food 
it's totally normal. Nobody <laughs> says, ah, oh, panic, he's eating fast food, he's destroying his life. Or if you work a job you hate. Yeah. Or if you're in a relationship that is abusive and you're still being stuck there and, and you're not leaving it. This is so much real self-harm compared to I'm in charge of my body. I know what I'm doing. I want to feel my body and I want to share this experience just feeling alive. That is interesting. And and yeah, you were you were mentioning self-harm and I was just thinking about like um you know like a, a landscaper who spends his day, you know, shoveling ditches. Um no offense, good work is work, but but that in itself like if you go home every day just completely worn out with your body in pain uh for somebody else that's a different thing than you know feeling pain under your own control if, if you sit in an office and you fuck up your eyes because you look too much on the screen you fuck up your back and you have no passion in it you drain your life but it's completely normal yeah that's really interesting okay so um I know that you use local performers when you're on tour. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about why you do that and why someone would volunteer to be tortured and put on display like that? Um, well, for California, it's really easy because <laughs> I started out in California. Oh, okay. I lived there for 15 years almost. Gotcha. So I have a lot of um, family, not blood related but in my heart related uh -huh. family um there is a big suspension body modification scene mm -hmm. and i'm lucky enough that in those circles most people are familiar with my work yeah. so it doesn't take as much to convince them the other uh -huh. thing which i like about it is that wherever i go i always include a local element um, working with different people always um, makes each ritual a bit different uh -huh. so that there is not too much routine, that there's always gotcha. something exciting about it. That's pretty cool. Um, and it's really great that, you know, it, it kind of uh, fits into the almost cultish nature of what Aesthetic Meat Front is, that there are these followers around the world. <laughs> I try not to use the word cult. Okay, explain that. Because with cult, it always has a negativity to mm. it. Um, cult is, well, visually, sometimes it can go in the same direction, mm -hmm. but not always. There are many different cults, like Church of Scientology. Yeah. Is definitely a cult. has nothing to do with body art. Yeah. Cult is about control at the end. Mm -hmm. While I don't want to control anybody, I want to open doors for people and they can walk through it or not. And they can look into it. They can choose not to. I want people to get the best out of the experience, use it for their daily life. And if they get inspired, do their own art, not copy something, just yeah. let it grow. Let the seed that they found in the art, grow within them and create their own thing. That's beautiful. Um, and yeah, when I, when I said cult, I, I guess I was kind of meaning like, like a wasteland tribe-ish cult where it's, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. just for playing around, mm -hmm. like a little bit of cosplay, a little bit of, um, a little bit of game. <laughs> okay, no, no, so, I understood it, but a okay, lot of okay, people cool. when they hear cult, 
I mean, and you're right. There are real cults and some of them can be uh, really detrimental to people's lives, <laughs> yep. which is pretty wild. But yeah, I, I guess there's a difference between that real life um, of following somebody, no matter uh, what your better judgment is versus um, kind of the, the where you get to just play it for a little while and then go back and kind of, you know, be able to make your own judgments. You have a, a brand new performance that you put together called COVID Darkness, Sound of Trauma. Can you describe what this one's all about? Yes. Um, the idea behind this one is that no matter how we look at the situation, or where we are at this situation, we all get affected um, by it in one way or another. People either had it and went through it, lost somebody, or can't take the isolation anymore, or lost somebody because they couldn't take the isolation. It changes society. It also reflects a lot of the issues that society had before and multiplies it. Mm -hmm. The idea is that people can send me any way they feel negative affected by it. And I used it sound, the COVID trauma, and turned it into art. And then at the very end, it will get destroyed. I will deconstruct the sound, play it backwards. Um, I write the fears that people send me on uh, papers, big sheets of papers, which also will be destroyed at the end, so that there is a ritualistic um, destruction of the trauma. Yeah, so hopefully like a shared catharsis. Yeah, uh, exactly. Just, just something to help people to get it out of their system and see it be destroyed and Hopefully that helps a little bit with the situation. I love that. And this is an online only event. So that's why you're having people send in so that you can still have yes. audience participation, even though it's simply going to be online. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's fantastic. So when and where can people tune in? How do, how do they find this show? Um, it's on uh, my website, louisfleischauer.com. Mm -hmm. If you click right in the front page, there is a tree link and it has the link to the live stream and it also has a link to the Facebook event. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Luis Fleischauer. I'll put the link in the bio. Mm -hmm. It's a three-day event. So it's not only is it the first performance I will be doing uh, without an audience or without a physical audience. It's also the longest performance I will be doing. It's uh, the 25th of February, the 26th of February, and the 1st of March. Mm -hmm. The first day uh, will be about isolation. The second day will be about grief, which will be a more sculptural, visual. The first one will be more meditative, and the third one will be about fear, and the whole madness that goes along with it, which will be uh, more chaotic, uh, more like what you usually know with aesthetic meat front. And on this day, the 1st of March, the ending will be that I'll shave my head. Oh, wow. I've been growing my hair since my last performance. Gotcha. And it will be exactly one year since I have not performed. And my sacrifice will be that I shave it all off. I've been working on this for an entire year. 
I, I have not cut my hair. I have not dyed it. I've done nothing with my hair except washing it for the last hair. It made me look very funny sometimes <laughs> in between. But it was my vow that I will not do anything with my hair until I perform. And 1st of March will be exactly one year. And then it will all be gone. Well, that's really exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I bet you're ridiculously excited to uh, get back at it. Yes. Awesome. Um, and is there any kind of an audience participation during the show, or is it something where you can tune in and relax and watch? Uh, yes, there will be some audience participation during it. Um, the streaming link will have multiple windows for different rooms, and one button um, it says participate, and depending on the day, you can send in your words, um, you can type them in. Um, on the last day, I want people to send me their frustration screams. Oh, wow. And we will work this into the sound. Wow, that should be wild. And the person working on this one, on uh, the participation sounds while we're performing live, mm -hmm. is actually um, Trevor from San Diego. Oh, wow. So you will send the f screams to San Diego and he will feed them live um, into the performance in Berlin. That is crazy. So it's going to be a, a worldwide performance already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I know that you're, it's, it is free to tune in. I know that you're accepting um, donations and I would like to encourage everybody to donate what mm -hmm. you can because um, with COVID going on, artists are some of the biggest sufferers and the most necessary uh, to our sanity. So um, yeah, if you can't afford anything, just tune in, Yes, but definitely... Um, if you can send some dollars Lewis's way because uh, he is a mastermind. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. <laughs> no, especially in Germany, um, the way the government, they're just telling, oh yeah, we put this much money towards art and they put so many barriers in it that nothing ends up in the art mm. scene. It, the money goes to the airlines and if you have a normal employment, you get money, no problem. Mm -hmm. But if you're a self-employed artist, it's almost impossible to get any money. Unless if it's um, unless if you're bankrupt and then you can get social service money, which is uh -huh. just nothing. And right. you have to fill out so much paperwork that you cannot do any art anymore because your brain is dead. Right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like uh, it's very similar here. Um, there's not a whole lot of money to go for artists. And when it does, it seems like most of it goes toward a few, very few artists. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of artists in the world that are having a very hard time making a living on what they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially since it's not just that you can't perform anywhere, but with the performing, you also, um, sell your merchandise mm -hmm. and this one without performance, there is no booth. So <laughs> It's a whole retail. Yep, yep, absolutely. You were born and raised in East Germany before the Berlin Wall came down. Can you describe what that was like and how it influenced your art? That's correct. Um, censorship was always present, um, uh, which 
in a different form than it is now. Now censorship is a very strong present from in social media. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have a lots of difficult ex, um, showing my art on the internet. Yeah. Because it is raw, it is naked, and I have to deal with a lot of self-censorship if I want to post something, which is very frustrating. Uh -huh. uh, in East Germany, it was more obvious. Um, everybody knew the regime wanted to control you. If you looked different, you've been automatically seen as an enemy of the state. I got constantly controlled um, by the police. Everybody uh, uh, was just like a little, um, there's a little group of death rock, industrial goth people in the, uh, it was the late 80s. And every time the cops would see us, they would ask us for our ID. They would ask us why we dress this way. They would ask us how we feel about the state, etc. Uh -huh. So eventually it became so ridiculous that every time we see, we would see the cops, we would take our ID out and walk towards the cops and just give him the ID, answer all the questions before they could even ask them. <laughs> uh -huh. So we made a joke out of it because it was the only way to deal with it. Yeah. The more scary part was when uh, the Stasi knocked on my door. And the, the Stasi were what, the... The Russian police? Uh, no, it's the KGB version. It's the East German version of the KGB. Ah. It's the um, secret police. Gotcha. Okay. And I, I was lucky since I was not 18 yet. So they couldn't do it too much. But it was very scary. And the worst thing about it is that you couldn't even tell your friends. Because if you would tell your friends, oh, yeah, I got interrogated by the KGB, uh, by the Stasi, uh -huh. then everybody would automatically assume you work for them. Oh, wow. Because uh, it was an environment where the Stasi was ever present, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're in any way of uh, subculture. So... At that moment, it was very scary. At a later point, after the wall came down, I got my files that the Stasi had on me. Really? And reading it, it was very funny. <laughs> because I was 17. I was a scared teenager. Uh -huh. I would tell them what I would think they want to know without giving them any information. Oh, okay. And I was assuming they are so strong and powerful that they obviously know that I'm bullshitting them, uh -huh. but no, they just wrote it down word for word. And yeah, they, I was saying, well, I'm in school now. I am. I just want to be a little wild, but next year when I'm out of school, I have to um, get a real job. So I obviously have to look normal. So pretty much I was telling them just to face. And they wrote it just like that. Oh yeah, he, he oh, thinks wow. it's just a face and he wants to be... Uh, yeah, and I read it 30 years later, still dressed like I don't think, really. <laughs> I was going to say, so then you went off and got a real job, right? <laughs> um, yes, putting hooks in people. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I, I imagine that when the Berlin Wall came down, it was very freeing um, as far as like being able to uh, work on your art a little bit more free, freely. Yeah. Uh, as an artist, um, the freest years was definitely after the wall came down. Uh-huh. Um, I moved to Berlin. I lived in a squad. Uh, the times in Berlin at the early 90s was probably the freest I ever felt. Wow. Because things were still in a transition. Uh, the cops didn't really know what to do with the new situation. And they let people do their thing. As long as you don't obviously uh, go against any laws, they would just let you do your thing. People would get stoned all over the place. <laughs> people were squatting houses, uh-huh. opening bars, making arts. There was a lot of free space where you could just express yourself and do do art. That's amazing. Which is probably which saved my life that the wall came down and right at this poem moment. Because uh-huh. I was at a very self-destructive phase back then. Uh-huh. Because obviously there was a lot of pressure on me and there was private stuff. And yeah, I, I was going downhill. And then <laughs> I moved to Berlin, moved in the squad, got stoned, made arts, made friends. And that saved my life. Yeah. Wow. If you could send one message to the whole world, what would it be? Huh. Um, I think currently the message would be uh, take a look at the current situation and learn from it. Going back to normal would be going back to self-destructive madness. So use that dark moment to grow from it, mm. not to go back to the self-destructive mm-hmm. I think there is a lot to learn from this. And um, it's interesting because every time uh, I go out to a festival like Wasteland Weekend or something like that, uh, it changes you a little bit. It makes you appreciate Mm -hmm. things in life that you kind of take for granted. And I think that COVID has definitely um, awoken a lot of people up to the things that we underappreciate. Face-to-face contact, (laughs) live performances, art. And the list is endless. And hopefully we can all uh, be a little bit more appreciative of life coming out of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, survivors, I've been talking to Louis Fleischauer of Aesthetic Meat Front. For more information on him and his art, COVID darkness, Aesthetic Meat Front, and more, check out louisfleischauer.com. I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, Louis, thanks so much for coming on today. I know that you're very busy getting ready for this show. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And Hi to everybody. <laughs> and we can't wait to see you back in the States. Um, definitely let us know when you'll be back. I know it, it won't be for a little while still, but can't wait to see you again. Will do. I miss my people. <laughs> okay. Ciao. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your friends. If you hated it, send it to your enemies in a rocket fuel filled Molotov cocktail. Until next time, survivors, stay alive. Hey, survivors, if you want to help support The Apocalypse Post and get some rad merch in exchange, head over to theapocalypsepost.square.site, where you can pick up some patches, postcards, or our newest edition, a set of guitar picks. Or get yourself a limited edition Apocabob pin. This little man is showing the world that all it takes to survive the end times is a gas mask and a dream of, well, just staying alive.